Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Get your advanced PhD in WOW from floor and decor. If you're a pro, you're already an expert in tile, wood, and stone. And with floor and decor's job site delivery, their free design services, and pro rewards that actually reward you, your business is set to grow from one client to the next. Floor and decor isn't just a couple of aisles, it's an entire store designed to help your business boom. It's floor and decor. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So have you ever met someone who has a job that seems like they were born to do? Not only do their skills match up with their job, but they genuinely enjoy their work, and they'd probably do it for free if they could. Now, you might think it's just plain luck that landed them their career, and sure, there might be some of that, but my guest today has written a book on how you can turn the odds more in your favor in the career lottery. His name is Chris Gillibo, and his latest book is called Born for This, How to Find the Work You Were Born to Do. And in our conversation today, Chris shares brass tacks advice on finding work you love. Whether you want to start your own business or move to a better, better position within your current career or even start all over with a new career, you're going to find suggestions and tips in today's episode that you can start using today. When you're done with the show, be sure to check out our show notes at aom.is slash this all one word, uh, where you'll find links to resources mentioned in our conversation. And as always, I'd really appreciate if you give our podcast a review on iTunes or Stitcher as that helps spread the word about the podcast and the show. So without further ado, Chris Gillibo and Born for This. Chris Gillibo, welcome back to the show. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brett. It's a huge honor to be back. Right, yeah. We, you were one of my first podcast guests back in 2010, I think. Wow, still was, going strong. Still going strong. That, awesome. was, that was when I was in my apartment, and uh, I, I was working out of my son's uh, bedroom. Wow, before the manliness mansion. Right, the manly, yeah, I wish is a manliness mansion. <laughs> well, hey, um, you've got a new book out. It's called Born for This. It's about finding your dream job. Whether that's starting your own business or getting the job in a traditional workspace that you've always wanted. Uh, and I love how you get into details, not just high level, you actually get into specifics on what people need to do to uh, get the job of their dreams. Um, but and I love how you start out the book talking about a lot of the most common misguided scripts people have about their careers. Can you talk about what some of those are and uh, what they can do to flip them so it's more productive? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the kind words. Uh, my goal with the book and, and probably all of my books is to, to write something that's truly prescriptive and actionable and helpful. So with this book, Born for This, you know, I followed a case study model where I interviewed and studied lots of different people who had found or created their dream jobs, as you said. And my goal is always to kind of extrapolate the lessons, you know, look at what is statistically significant, what is relevant, what the average person can do. Uh, so it's not just a historical study. It's meant to be like, here, read this book and then go and do these things. 
And so, you know, one of the things I was most surprised by is that, you know, most people tend to look at really successful people and they think, okay, they, they, not only do they have it all figured out now, but they've actually always had it figured out. And what I was surprised to see is that most successful people, whether celebrities, you know, very wealthy people, or just like, you know, average people who are living a very fulfilled life, were doing something that they love to do, had a good income, they actually did not follow a linear path. And they actually had no idea necessarily what they, you know, when they were six years old and thought about, okay, here's what I want to do when I grow up, you know, it, it rarely turned into that thing. And even when they were trying to decide what to study in college or even for their first job or whatever they did in those early career stages, there were lots of kind of winding roads and going back to a path and choosing something different. So I thought that was really interesting because it goes against this you know, conventional wisdom that there is this one straight path that you have to follow. Uh, and maybe another thing is, you know, I, there's a lot of advice that, that's kind of handed down and we kind of accept it as, okay, this is, this is truth. And one of the things that I see a lot in business literature advising people how to be better employees or better managers is this concept of think like a CEO. And it kind of takes this role model of a very famous person or a you know, CEO of a big company and says, here's how this person lives their life. Uh, therefore, you should live your life the same way. And so there's lots of articles about here's, here's how Warren Buffett invests. Therefore, you, know, you should invest this way. Or here's how Mark Zuckerberg manages. This is how you should manage. And the problem, of course, is you know, most of us are not Mark Zuckerberg. Most of us are not Warren Buffett. It doesn't mean that we're not intelligent, but we don't have access to those same resources. We don't have tens of thousands of employees or billions of dollars you know, to, to just deploy at will. Uh, so what I kind of learned was maybe it's better to actually think like a janitor, not like a CEO, because the janitor is actually you know, not sitting on top of billions of dollars and tens of thousands of employees. The janitor actually kind of has his hand or her hand in everything and knows everybody in the building and is kind of you know, multifaceted and is able to respond to different things. So the lesson is not so much you know, be a janitor, of course, uh, but the lesson is to think differently and figure out, okay, out of all this different advice, you know, what actually applies to you and how can you do something that will help you succeed or you kind of further along your career. Yeah, I love how you you brought up the uh, the whole think like a CEO because I find those articles I find them entertaining but also annoying mm. um, because I've read about there's this there's what's besides like you know you're not them right you don't you're not Warren Buffett you don't have the resources of what works for him isn't going to work for you but even with some of these articles about like what the most successful people do first thing in the morning right right articles that you read like the the underlying assumption is well if you do these things too. Yeah. You too will be success- successful, and there's um there's people write, written about this. There's like a psychological bias going on. It's like the survivorship oh, bias. Interesting. I don't know if you've heard of this. So it's the idea that uh, with these articles, you only focus on the people who are successful and right. did these things. You never, but out of the but the people you don't have in that pool are the people who did those things but mm-hmm. weren't successful. Right, right. So it's like you said, it's entertaining. You know, it's interesting to read those articles. That's why they're popular. It's like reading People magazine or something, which is fine, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, give us actionable advice. It doesn't necessarily tell us what to do. And and for every article that's like, you know, here's what these successful people do in the morning. They never check email. There's probably somebody else who is who is successful who, who gets up and checks his email in the morning. Right. That's fine, you know? Yeah. So, but the, the key is you have to, instead of relying on that, you have to experiment and find out what works for you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of experimentation. Right, and we'll get into a little bit of that more in here in a bit. Um, but you also talk, you kind of go after the the very common advice that you see in the online entrepreneurial world is like you got to follow your passion, and once you find right. your passion and follow it, the money will follow. Um, but yeah. you say it's misguided advice. Why is that? It's totally, it's totally misguided. I mean, 
you, you know, if you're, if you're trying to figure out, okay, what do I like to do or what do I want to do for a hobby, then that's a great question to ask. But there, there are lots of passions you can have that don't necessarily make for, for great careers. You know, I, I was like the story I always tell is when I was a kid, I was very passionate about playing video games. And not just as a kid, but even in my like late teens, early 20s, you know, I, I was really devoted, you know, to play to sitting in front of the TV or the computer and playing games. But that, just, that wasn't going to lead me to a career or a dream job. Or it was just something that I did for fun. And even if it's something that maybe is a little bit more applicable, it doesn't necessarily correlate to, okay, here's my career path. Maybe it's just something that you do that's, that's, that's fun and enjoyable and it's a diversion. Uh, so I think it's probably more important to follow your skill. Uh, don't just follow a passion. Or if you are going to follow a passion, you know, choose one because most of us have more than one thing we like. Choose one that's actually kind of relevant in a way that other people care about. You know, if you can do something that's that's helpful to other people, uh, that to me is kind of the key to starting a business or to getting ahead in your job or to changing careers. Uh, there's all this talk about value. You know, speaking of overused concepts and advice that's always handing, handed down, there's always this is this thing about adding value. Go add value. Go add value. Well, what does that mean? Now, that means essentially be helpful. Figure out what you can do to better serve your colleagues, um, to better help your company or organization. You know, to help you know people get ahead. That I think is is the key far more than than following your passion. All right, be useful. Yeah, I like that. Um, so you talk about three things that people should consider when they are trying to decide what they do for a living. I thought this was really useful because, uh, particularly when you're young, you tend to focus on just one or the other and not all of them at once, or you might not even think about any of them. You might be thinking about other factors that aren't really geared towards your well-being. But what are these uh, three things people should consider when they're thinking about a job or starting a business? Sure. Yeah, so the model that I used in the book, which kind of emerged through all the research, it's not like I set out and said, here's this model. Like It kind of emerged through all the different interviews with people. And the model is joy, money, flow. So these are these three qualities that I think are the essential elements or ingredients uh, to a very successful career, something that's, that's fulfilling and purposeful. Uh, and so joy is you know, doing something that you love to do. I just talked about how you, you shouldn't follow your passion, but at the same time, I think you know, life is short. You know, in, in this age with many opportunities and possibilities, you know, why, why shouldn't we work toward finding something that is enjoyable to us so that work is not just kind of a drudgery, it's not just like a soul-sucking job that you go to in order to pay the bills. So the first one is joy. Second one is money. Uh, because I am interested in helping people with their careers, it's not just you're something that you like to do. You know, the ideal dream job is actually financially viable. It is sustainable. It provides everything you need to support yourself and to support your family. And then the third element uh, that I was maybe not surprised at, but I, I was surprised how important it was, uh, was what I called flow. And flow is essentially like deploying your skills in a unique way or in a way that, that kind of makes sense to you. It's like doing work that you're really good at, that you can kind of immerse yourself in, that you lose yourself in, like time goes by and you don't realize like, oh, an hour has gone by because I've been like lost in this project. And sometimes people can't identify like what the flow is in their life. They don't know necessarily like what's the skill that I'm really good at that other people aren't. So one tip that I learned was, you know, if you do any kind of group work, if you have meetings or you're working on a team, pay attention when, when kind of tasks are divvied up and they kind of look at you and they're like, oh, you know, Brett should do this. Uh, and everybody kind of recognizes your skill, even if you don't necessarily see it for yourself. So you got joy, money, flow. And, you know, throughout life, we have to make different compromises. We have to settle in some ways. But I think the goal, you know, the goal of self-actualization, the goal of improving ourselves, 
you know, to be the best man or the best woman we can be uh, is to get as close as possible to that convergence where we truly do love what we do. It is actually sustainable. And we're also doing something that we're good at. And I like it with the money thing. You, you focus on sustainability. It's not necessarily meaning you have to make boo koodles of money. Of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, true wealth is not boo koodles of money, right? True wealth is, you know, we have everything that we need. We are able to do the things that we want, but we're also able to give. We're able to support others and we have healthy relationships and so we're pursuing something that matters to us. I mean, this, this is true wealth. Right, right. Yeah. Because a lot of people, they'll go for the money, um, but then they just hate their job. They, right. They're, they don't enjoy it. Their family is terrible. Family life is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout the book, you you talk about how landing your dream job is often seen as a lottery, right? Mm-hmm. Just a few lucky people get to do what they love. And I guess there is some truth to that. I mean, the, the, the world, uh, it, it's competitive. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard. There's only a few limited spots for some you know, ideal jobs that every, a lot of people want. Uh, if you're starting a business, there's risk inherent in that. Sure. But what are some things that people can do to mitigate the risk and uh, you know put the odds more in their favor? Yeah. So, so this concept of lottery, it actually came from some of the respondents in the survey, and they they tended to use the same kind of language. They they talked about this dream job concept. They said, you know, I feel like I've won the career lottery. You know, I love what I do. I would go to work even if I didn't get paid for it. But fortunately, I do get paid for it. So I kind of wanted to unpack that a little bit. And maybe one of the things I learned was um, that a lot of risk is perceived. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that something isn't risky. There's, there's risk when you, you know, walk outside of your house or something. But, but a lot of risk really is perceived. And, and people who did you know, quit their job to start a business or people who kind of just made a career transition within the same organization or company or to a, you know, a different organization, maybe even a different industry, you know, one of the ways they were, do, they were able to do that was by increasing their confidence um, being able to see that, in fact, you know, successful people, just as, just as it's not a linear path, uh, they often make a number of mistakes along the way. But most of these mistakes can be, you know, you can recover from them. You can go back. Like if you come to a fork in the road, you choose one path, it turns out to not be the most amazing thing. It usually is quite possible, you know, to go back and do something totally different. So I think the mindset is one of, of confidence. The mindset of, of, is one of you know, looking to security as being something that you're creating for yourself. Um, even if you're not an entrepreneur, you can still create security for yourself in, in your job, uh, in your career. Right. So uh, going back to that experimentation thing, uh, you talk later on in the book about being willing to, you know, fold, right, when it's not mm. working out and knowing that there's always another game to play. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, we talk about, if you think about traditional American or Western entrepreneurial advice or like the classic manifest destiny philosophy, it is like, you know, never give up, you know, always persevere. And I think that's terrible advice. Again, most successful people, they have given up on a lot of things. They haven't necessarily given up on their dream. Like they're still trying to find that work they were born to do. They're still trying to, you know, be a good person and maybe pursue a quest or whatever it is. But, but they're absolutely willing to go back and try a different strategy. You know, they're willing to, to start something over, to admit that they got it wrong. Or maybe it wasn't wrong. Maybe it was a learning experience that led to the next thing. So I'm a big fan of, you know, if it's not working, give up, do something else. Yeah, I love how you go after that uh, story everyone likes to tell about the guy who was digging for gold, right? And like right, right. everyone else gave up, but he kept on and like he struck the vein. But mm-hmm. I'm always, I, whenever I've heard that, like, what if he wasn't near the vein and he kept yep. going? Yep. <laughs> That's exactly, a possibility. Right? We don't know. You know, that's the thing. It's like we don't know what would have happened. And the whole story of the, the, the poem of the two roads, you know, the road not taken or the road less traveled by, the traveler kind of comes up on this decision and he, he looks at one, he looks at the other, 
kind of evaluates and he chooses the, you know, the one road and he says, you know, that made all the difference, uh, which is great, but we don't know what happened. You know, what would have happened if he had gone down the other road? Maybe it would have been just as good. You know, maybe it would have been better. Right. And like going back to the gold guy, he could have <laughs> stopped and started selling gold digging stuff for all the other ambitious gold diggers and exactly made a ton exactly. of money off of it. Right. So we don't know. Right. So I think the, maybe the lesson is we put so much pressure on ourselves. We put so much pressure to like not make the wrong decision. And, you know, again, there are very few career decisions that you can't recover from. And, you know, by actually embracing different decisions, being open to change, you know, that is probably how you're going to make progress one way or another. Right. And I think this is great advice, particularly for people who are young guys who are in their 20s, just starting out. There's, I think a lot of them think they have to have things figured out right now. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, like their life is hosed. Um, right, right. Well, that's the culture. I mean, this is the culture that, um, you know, we, I should say collectively, like we kind of put on those young people because they feel like they're supposed to know their life purpose when they're age 20. And there's a lot of people age 30, 40, 50, whatever, who don't know their life purpose. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a journey. And the other thing is you have to make all these decisions with uh, limited information, right? So you're supposed to choose, okay, I'm 16 or 17 or 18. Like, what am I going to study and how am I going to study it? You know, what college or what trade school or what, you know, am I going to go into the military? Am I going to work for the government? All these kind of things. You don't necessarily know what that's going to be like. You know, you might have a brochure that tells you a little bit, or maybe you know somebody who is in that field, but until you have the experience, you won't actually know. So, you know, the way you figure out what you're born to do is you get experience. You know, you are open to experiments. Um, you, you say yes to things more than you say no, at least at first. Maybe right. later you become more selective, you know, but in the beginning you say yes. Right. And that's going, just getting started, starting to take those risks, starting to experiment. Texas Pete is the sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. Each Texas Pete sauce is packed with a bold, balanced flavor. The signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. Their hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and it's not for the faint of heart. They also got a flavor called Sabor by Texas Pete, adds authentic Mexican flavor. And they also have a dust-dry seasoning that matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub. But... The flavor that I've been enjoying lately is the chopped sriracha sauce. It's got chili, garlic, and some tropical tangy notes. It's really good. I love putting it on my eggs. Texas Pete sauce like you mean it. Visit texaspeat.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And you can use promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com. That's PODCAST24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com check out the sriracha cha sauce wedding season is coming up and if you are preparing for the big day i know wedding planning can be really intimidating but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home don't just wear any suit on your big day wear a custom made to measure suit suits start at just 499 which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store and they've also got custom made to measure shirts starting at just 89 dollars So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS 
to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it, and then you forget about it. And then every month, you're getting charged and charged and charged, and they just all add up, and you have a hard time trying to figure out, where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Right. Absolutely. The world economy is competitive. And there's not a day that goes by where I don't read these like scare articles about <laughs> uh, artificial intelligence taking over jobs that were once even white collar jobs, right? right? So like reporters and accountants and even yeah. attorneys. Um, so in this new world where you're not only competing with humans in other parts of the world who can maybe do work for cheaper, but you're also competing with computers, what skills do people need to focus on developing so they can compete, whether it's in the traditional job uh, world or in starting their own business and being an entrepreneur? So I think the first thing to recognize is in this time of uncertainty, you know, when things are changing, artificial intelligence, as you said, you know, the global economy, et cetera. I mean, first of all, the world has always been changing, right? You know, maybe it's changing more rapid or something now than it was before, but you know, the times are always changing essentially. And, and whenever the times change, there are opportunities as well as there are challenges. And you know, historically, especially in the United States, a lot of really big businesses were started during a recession. So a recession is a time you know, when people are kind of looking around and, and looking for something different. So first of all, you know, the, changing, the changing job market offers opportunities. As for what skills are important, I was surprised to see, you know, I talked to people who were web developers, they were designers, uh, firefighters, uh, teachers, lawyers, accountants, all kinds of different backgrounds. What I was surprised to see was that um, there's a difference between hard skills and soft skills. And so hard skills 
are the skills that you learn in college or however you're educated, however you're trained. You learn to be a web developer, you learn a programming language, you learn specific engineering skills, you know, whatever your trade is. Uh, but soft skills are kind of more universal and they apply to a lot of different professions. So soft skills are things like communication, uh, being able to negotiate in a way that's, that's both good for you but also kind of creating a win-win for the other party as well. Uh, the ability to follow through and follow up. And we talked about you know, being in a meeting earlier and they look around and like, who should do this? Um, they look to the person who's going to follow up well because we've all been in meetings where you know, lots of good stuff is talked about, but then nothing ever happens afterward. So, I, so what I learned was these soft skills are extremely important and they're actually kind of underestimated. So something you can do you know, right away, and I talk about it a lot in the book, is to begin improving those soft skills. You know, don't just go back and learn another programming language. Don't just advance your technical skills. Those are important. Um, but a lot of people have technical skills. And when you talk about a competing or competitive job market, I think the people who stand out are the ones who have better soft skills. They communicate better. They follow through better. You know, they're just kind of better all around in those things. Yeah, that's great advice. And I, I think this is really applicable even for people who are in what we traditionally call blue-collar jobs, mm-hmm. right? Um, the emphasis is always on the hard skills. You got to be good, right? You have to be a good plumber. But in my experience as a homeowner, whenever I've had to call a plumber for things, I always go with the plumber who, like, who's got those soft skills down, right? Yep. Who yeah, know how to communicate, back, like calls me back. Doesn't leave you waiting, right? Exactly. Doesn't he's leave on, you waiting. Like he's honest with you, all that stuff. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's if you are in that sort of a job, like yeah, that that can really set you, like easily set you apart from the pack. Mm-hmm. It's just focusing on that. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you about this. So you yeah, you mentioned, I guess we just talked about that. You answered a question that I already asked. Okay, let's talk about okay. this. Uh, getting the specifics, if you want, if you have an idea of what your dream job is, like you figured it out, you know what you're good at, you yeah. know it brings you joy, you know that it's something that could bring you uh, sustainable money. For sure. How do you go about getting it? And what's, yeah. and what's the, what's the, well, let's talk about what's the usual way people you do it and why is that a bad way of going about it? Yeah, well, I mean, the usual way is kind of like, you know, throwing a lot of things, throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks and, and you know, sending out a ton of resumes, you know, going on LinkedIn, kind of spamming people and all of that. I don't say spamming people in a terrible way because it's just what people do. Like they don't know, you know. And and the problem is that you're not the only one doing this, right? And when automation came came along, like the ability to upload your resume, the ability to kind of send it out digitally to lots of people, in some ways it sounds great. You're like, well, now I can apply for 90 jobs instead of just like two or three. But, you know, there's probably a hundred other people or a thousand other people who are now actually applying for the same 90 jobs. So it's really, really hard to stand out by kind of going that traditional, traditional way. I mean, you have to be, you know, the best of the best, you know, in that 99th percentile, or you just have to get lucky. Right. right I yeah. think a lot of it just kind of comes down to randomness and chance. And maybe 10% of the applicants are, are all really qualified. So, you know, they just kind of rolling the dice there. So uh, most, you know, most dream jobs are actually kind of found through referral. And I talk a lot in the book about the, the strength of weak ties, which is essentially your extended network. So your friends of friends, you know, your people that your colleagues know, the people that you went to school with, uh, talking to those people and then talking to the extended networks of those people are looking for connections. Uh, that, that's usually a much, much better way. Uh, any way that you can kind of get your resume in through the back door is almost always going to lead to a better chance of success than, than just going through the normal route. And then the, the other thing I would mention is that a lot of dream jobs are not found. They're actually created. 
And when I say created, I don't necessarily mean starting a business or, or quitting your job. Uh, I saw a number of dream jobs that were created within an organization or within a company uh, by somebody who had, had been a really good employee, kind of stood out, you know, was good at their technical skills, but was also a good leader, had these kind of soft skills, and then identified an area that the, the company or the organization needed to grow in and essentially created their own role for it um, by advocating and showing the value of that role by showing why they were qualified to do it. So sometimes the, the dream job is not necessarily out there waiting for you. Uh, it's something that you have to kind of design yourself and then advocate for. Um, but if it can work, obviously you're, you're, you've got something great for yourself and it's also great for the, the people who are employing you. So even if you're employed and you want a dream job, you have to act like a, a, a free agent in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of the, my lessons you know, for people is you, know, you should think like an entrepreneur, even if you don't want to be an entrepreneur. You should think entrepreneurially. You should think creatively. You should try to think, how can I, how can I apply, you know, like I said, this backdoor kind of thinking? How can I apply, like, be thinking, like, how, there's another way. There's got to be an alternative than just, like, this linear path of, like, you know, if there's 12 stages in an organization, I go in at stage one. And then two years later, you know, I get to move up to stage two. And then 20 years later, maybe I'm at stage eight or nine, and then I kind of plateau. There has to be another way. And, and we all know people who skip levels. You know, we all know people who are kind of like, well, they were on this track, like step one, step two, but now they're at step five. You know, what did they do? What did they do that was different? And I think a big part of it is, is being indispensable, uh, being super reliable, being that kind of go-to person. So uh, let's talk about starting your own business a bit. Um, because your first book was $100 Startup, I believe, correct? Right. Yeah. That's right. Oh, second book, but yeah. Second book, yeah. Um, sorry about that. It's good. Because um, you've written a lot. <laughs> Hard to keep track. Um, but you're a big advocate of people starting what you call side hustles, even if they have a traditional job where they work nine to five and they're making yeah. decent money. Um, why should folks like this consider starting a, a business on the side or moonlighting? Yeah, so I've made a little bit of a transition uh, in, just in my own philosophy because you know I, I am kind of pro entrepreneurship because that's my own background, but I recognize that's a little bit of a bias. So. For this book, it was really exciting to see people who had kind of found a dream job within a company or organization. I talked to the, the first female firefighter in Ontario uh, who became that firefighter 20 years ago and talked about all the you know, struggles and challenges she went through to achieve that position. I mean, if you want to be a firefighter, you can't really do that freelance. You know, you have to be part of a, an organization. You have to go through the discipline and the, the process. So totally think that's awesome. What, but what I think even more, though is I believe even more in the, the value of a side hustle. And I think it's actually an imperative. I think it's a necessity. It's not just something that's nice. And there are two reasons. One, because of what we've been talking about of the changing economic times, the instability, you know, the fact that there is no job security, at least no long-term job security anymore, and no one will ever care about your career as much as you do. So that sounds kind of negative. But the other reason is uh, because I've seen over and over and over, I get these emails all the time, uh, from people who started a little business, um, just while they were, you know, they were working their job. Maybe they even liked their job. They had no plans to quit, uh, but they did this thing on the side, just a few hours a week, and maybe it didn't bring a lot of money. But when it brought the first sale, or they got their first client or customer, it brings a disproportionate amount of joy and satisfaction. And you kind of look at that. I get these emails that are like, "Oh, I made thirty dollars," you know, and I'm so excited. You know, I had to work, you know, ten hours to get that first thirty dollars or something. But it's great, you know, and it feels very empowering. So that's it's it's this confidence, it's this security, it's being able to look and say I have more than one income source. Uh, even if that income source is relatively small, it's still great. And in some cases, you know, I talked to lots of people who actually 
had, had just planned to start something small, but it did, it did actually grow, you know, to the point where they had to make a choice between their day job and the business. And there's different ways to navigate that choice, but it's a great, it's a great problem to have, right? Yeah, yeah. I love that because, um, you know, I did some side hustling too uh, to help pay off my debt, student debt, student loan debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife did as well. And it, it was, it was, and it wasn't that hard, right? Like, yeah. so can you give us some examples of people who have side hustles who work a regular nine to five job that you yeah. highlighted in your book? Yeah, yeah. I talked to I talked to a woman who developed a kind of a crafts business, you know, like a fabric arts business. Uh, let's see. I'm realizing I'm talking to the art of manliness, so I should probably have a more manly <laughs> example, just like as I tell that one. A whiskey okay. distiller or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So this woman actually made whiskey. No, just kidding. Um, so there's a story of this guy named Benny Shu, and and Benny was was working a day job. He had kind of dabbled in entrepreneurship a little bit. Um, it was like a hobby, and uh, he had this idea to design T-shirts. And he wasn't. He didn't have a background in apparel. Uh, he didn't really have a background in design either. Uh, he just kind of, kind of, you know, waded into this. And over about three to six months, he invested a little bit of money, not a lot, but a little bit of money, uh, in putting these designs out on Facebook. And the really creative thing about it was, when he first had the business, he had to actually do the screen printing and stock inventory and all of that, uh, which of course comes with risk and challenge. You don't necessarily know if you're going to sell that inventory. Etc. But he found a way to, to essentially do print-on-demand uh, for customers he didn't have. So he had no platform. He didn't have a profile. He didn't have an email list or any of that. But through this process of experimentation, by investing a little bit of money, I mean, we're talking like a couple of hundred dollars a month, uh, he was able to get to where this became a viable business, creating these new T-shirt designs, you know, putting them up through Facebook ads, seeing which ones people liked. And essentially, people vote with their wallet. You know, if there's 10 designs and they, they buy one, that's the one you stick with. Uh, and then it actually became a full-time business for him. So it took about a year or so, uh, but it kind of came down to where he had to choose, okay, do I stay in my job or do I grow this business? And for him, he, he chose to grow that business. And there are lots of stories like that. And, and not all of them, to be clear, not all of them lead to, okay, now I'm making this full-time income. But again, I think the principle is like, what can you do on the side? That, that will help you and give you more confidence and security. Right. And you have to be willing, going back to that idea we've been talking about throughout this conversation, being willing to experiment. Absolutely. Because some things aren't going to work out. Yep. Um, well, think about how do you decide? Say like you start a, a side hustle, right? Okay. You have a traditional job and uh, it goes off like gangbusters for whatever mm-hmm. reason. How do you decide whether to take your side hustle full time? Because I think that might be a big agonizing decision for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, as I said, it's a, it's a good place to be. You know, it's kind of like, it is a problem. I agree, but it's kind of like the problem of having too much money. You know, and I have to pay my taxes. I mean, you have to sort that out, but still like, wouldn't you rather be in that position than, than not having the money or whatever? Um, I think the way that, that some people have navigated it is they have actually chose to chosen to stay in their job, um, but they stay in their job. They're very clear that they're staying in their job because they like their job. And they realize that the job actually offers maybe a different environment than the side hustle or the growing business. Uh, something I learned was that, you know, we, we focus a lot on profession. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I am a so-and-so, I am a so-and-so. We don't focus enough on what I called working conditions. So working conditions are like how you spend your time, like how you do your best work. Do you like to work with people? Do you like to work by yourself? Like for most of us, it's kind of a blend of, of both of those things. So where is the balance for you? Um, how do you like to be rewarded or motivated or incentivized? All those kind of things. If you can figure out your working conditions, that will help you see, okay, I'm actually better off in, in this role for a while. Maybe I'm actually better off you know, pioneering my own thing 
or maybe I'll go back and forth because these days lots of people are kind of pursuing a hybrid lifestyle where for a while maybe they do work a job, but then they have something on the side that takes off. So uh, I, I think that if you're in that position, you stay with the job if the job is bringing you great satisfaction. And if all of a sudden it, it changes, if that environment changes and you know it becomes stressful, well, then you have something else to go to. Right, right. One thing I've, I've seen with people who you know, have taken a side hustle full time um, and they quit their day jobs, they, they discover that they actually don't like running a business. Sure. Right. Yeah. They, they they like to start things. They like to like kind of work in the business, but the whole the management aspect doesn't really appeal to them. So they'll maybe sell their business, or maybe even just shut it down, or scale it mm-hmm. back and go back to a traditional job because that's where they they feel comfortable, and that's okay, right? Yeah, it's totally okay. I mean, the, the, I mean, the whole point is finding something that works for you, the ideal scenario that works for you. So one thing that's helpful there is to, is to kind of get an understanding of of the level of autonomy that you're most comfortable with. And people are totally on a spectrum with this. You know, some people do want to be like 100%, you know, independent. I want to be on my own. I want to make my own decisions. I don't want a boss telling me what to do. You know, other people, you know, they, they actually benefit from having some structure. They actually benefit from having set hours, from having some accountability to knowing what the deliverables are and then being able to work toward those deliverables. That's not a bad thing at all. I mean, I mean you, can, you can be very successful in life at a high level, you know, in an environment where there are clear deliverables and there is some structure. Right. Well, hey, Chris, this has been a great conversation, uh, a lot of practical takeaways, but where can people find out more information about the book? Awesome. Well, as I said, it's a huge honor. Love to connect with people. I'm at chrisgillibo.com or chrisgillibo on social, and nobody can ever spell that. So you can also go to bornforthisbook.com to learn about the new book. Awesome. Well, Chris, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, Brett. My guest today was Chris Gillibo. He's the author of the book, Born for This. And you can find more information about that book at bornforthisbook.com. And you can purchase it on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. And also make sure to check out the show notes uh, for links to resources that we mentioned in this podcast. You can find that at aom.is slash bornforthis. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast and have got something out of it, I'd really appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, as that helps spread the word about the show. As always, I appreciate your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.